Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. The presence of God is in this house tonight. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. 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 What's happening around these altars tonight is why we turn the lights on. There's something that we need to understand. We need a revelation of what's happening in the lost around us. And we have a generation of people. Their parents had enough work ethic to keep their head above water, but we have a fatherless generation on our hands. A generation of young people, and especially young men, who have not had any mentorship, who have not had any training, who have not had anyone invest in their lives. We have a generation of people that all they have ever known and seen is drug addiction lived out before them. It's sin of every kind lived out before their very eyes. And what happens to this, what has happened to this generation is they have become addicted to failure. Failure has become default mode. It's no news flash to people that the drugs are destroying their life. It's no news flash that the alcohol is destroying their life. It's no, it's no news flash that the life of sexual immorality is bringing nothing but more loneliness into their life. It's no, it's no news flash, but because it's familiar, they have become, they have be, just like a prisoner becomes institutionalized after years of prison, this generation has become institutionalized to failure and failure is default mode. Just like a prisoner is more comfortable with the razor wire and the walls after years. Many in this generation have been, they're more comfortable, addicted than set free because it's become familiar to them. So they're constantly being gravitated back toward that which is familiar, which is being enslaved. But it's time in the name of Jesus that the church get over themselves. It's time in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'm preaching before I'm preaching, but we're, this is where the church is right now. We thought that we're better than the hurting. We've thought that we're better than the broken. We've thought that we're better than the drug addict. And we've asked God to send us everybody that has already got it all together and is financially well set and the beautiful family. We love to have those people because they're no work, we think. But we say, God, you can send all the other people that need my work and my help and investment somewhere else. And it's been recently seen that the three greatest needs that people think they have coming to church are how close the parking is to the front door. It's proven how comfortable the seats are in the church. 
and if the worship is their style. Those are the three main things they're concerned about. But the lost is not on that list. It's nowhere close on that list because we have developed country clubs. We have desired to come and get together and look good and give each other five, and we have developed armor-polishing stations where we tell each other how wonderful we are, but reaching down and pulling people out of the fire has not been our focus. And the church needs to hear the voice of the Holy Ghost. And he's speaking here tonight very clearly. And it's time for our ear to be bent to his voice and understand why we're here, why we're turning the lights on. He has given the church a platform right now because we have the answer. We have the answer. (laughs) Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm so glad on this Monday night, I'm not up here just hoping that I've got something going to help people. I've got the only solution I'm preaching about tonight. And what's happening, I, I, I walked in tonight to a revival already in progress. Hallelujah. And I want you to know something tonight. No matter where you've been, no matter what life or lifestyle you have been living, when the blood of Jesus cleanses your life, I know I don't look like much tonight up here with my bald head, but when I got saved, I had a blood transfusion, and the DNA of heaven got deposited in me, and I became a child of the living God with all of its rights and privileges. And it doesn't matter where you've been, how ugly it may be, or the pitch or the pig pen you're in right now. When the blood of Jesus washes you, you become a child of the living God and the DNA of heaven gets deposited in you. Hallelujah. And you have a right to the kingdom of God. The devil does not want you to know what this freedom and this victory is. Oh, I was going to sing, but I'm going to go ahead and preach tonight. Take your Bibles. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott Briggs, for the invitation to be here. Go and stand, if you would, to honor the reading of God's Word. I thank God for the preparation that's gone on and preparing for this week. I do not believe I'm here by accident. I believe I'm here right on time with what God wants to do and what God wants to say. I have felt all day that God is going to move powerfully in this meeting. Looking forward to the ministry of Brother Roach in the morning. Believing God to do something great for him. Have you come with expectation tonight? Hallelujah. I did not come to entertain you. I did not come to have you pat me on the back. I want you to know I came to believe God for an outpouring of his spirit. Hallelujah. I came to leak hearts and hands with you for a move of God this week. This evangelist, this preacher is hungry. My cry of my heart is for an outcry. It's it's crying out for an authentic move of Jesus Christ. My heart's cry is for an authentic Jesus revival. That's what I want to preach about tonight. The resurgence of a Jesus revival. This is probably not going to be the most homiletically or hermeneutically beautiful sermon you've ever heard, but it's coming from the cry of my heart. And I want you to hear my heart tonight. And I believe that the Holy Ghost is going to do something powerful in this room tonight and the next little while. Acts chapter 5, begin reading with verse number 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. 
And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Think about that. Multitudes, both of men and women. And Brother Soundman, or Sound Person, if you could give me a little more volume here in this monitor on the platform, that would be very helpful. Thank you. In the past, since June, I have preached 57 times. And so my voice is just a little bit tired. Just came straight from a camp meeting here. So I need all the help I can get. But the Lord's going to help me. Amen. Praise God. Multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about under Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. For every preacher in here, that's a good message right there. Go stand and speak. Verse 21, and they heard that, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. They didn't want the word to get out. Verse 25, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain of the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And When they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. 
After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew many away, much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Verse 40, and to him they agreed. And when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, your word has the final say. And as Acts chapter 5 gives us an HD picture of a Jesus revival, of an authentic people operating with an authentic power, they had the goods. I pray that tonight, Lord, among every preacher, every pastor, every lay minister, every youth pastor, Lord, every person represented by every church in this section, the Lord Jesus, you would set us ablaze with a heart hungry and yearning for a Jesus. Jesus revival to break out in every church in every congregation I pray that we would have authenticity I pray that we would have the reality of what we claim I pray God as we're trying to touch a generation that's desperate to see that we have the goods I pray that we would operate in the life changing power of Jesus Christ and that tonight children and young people and young adults and middle aged adults and elder saints of God would be touched by your fire would be changed by your presence and that tonight you would move by your spirit that Jesus would get the glory set this part of Texas on fire with a Jesus revival we ask it in your name everybody said amen you may be seated you may be seated once upon a time there was an orderly little church in an orderly little town the people were nice The sermons were nice. The pastor was nice. The singers and musicians were nice. Worship services were meeting the approval of most everyone. After all, the Holy Spirit was allowed to move to a point. And the guarded spontaneity kept things, well, nice. Most everyone in the church seemed very comfortable with the predictability of niceness. And although there were no nameplates on the pews, everyone knew who sat where. The Sunday services rarely went past noon, and that was nice. Everything was in its place, noticeably neat and nice. But then things began to change. It's hard to say when it all started, but an uneasiness over lost humanity began to squeeze the hearts of the people prayer meetings that had always been business as usual took on new fervency. The pastor's theology suddenly caught fire with the new wind of the Holy Ghost moving him beyond just education to preaching with the fire and unction of the Holy Spirit. Singing and testimonies began to spill out and over from hearts that were running over. It was like an Acts chapter 2 season of suddenlies had broken out in the congregation 
In Sunday school class, worship practice was no longer worship practice, but people began to fall on their face, weeping, praising God. While driving to work, people had to pull over because they could not see to drive through the tears. Others had to pull over because the joy of the Lord hit them, and they had to get out, run around their car four or five times and get back inside and go on to work. While praying over the evening meal, as the father led in prayer, he began to weep and cry a thanksgiving to God and the family began to feel the overflow of the Spirit of God working in that father's life. It seemed that every detail and every participant became focused on worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. But all of this had not come without cost. There was a releasing of the control and agenda of man. There was the crucifying of the flesh and the humbling of self and pride. There was the dealing with vain, the vain glory of man. And as a result of this new burst of divine energy, things became less predictable and sameness gave way to variety. At times it seemed to be more of a mess than anything and the Holy Ghost was leaping over man-made boundaries and there was no telling where this might lead. People started coming from everywhere until people were no longer assured of getting to sit where they had always sat. After all, one definition of Pentecost is predictable unpredictability. The type of sinner now being converted was noticeably different. There was an obvious shift to just wanting the respectable, desirable sinner to the attitude of whosoever may come. Social status faded away and the rich, the middle and the poor were sitting next to one another with their hands raised to heaven praising God. No one cared what kind of suit the other wore. No one gave a holy hoot what kind of car they drove to church. No one cared anymore what kind of neighborhood the other lived in. No one cared if they were eating a steak or a bologna sandwich for lunch. Why? Because people were finding what their hearts were yearning for. A Savior, a Redeemer, Jesus, the life transforming power of God. What I've just described to you is what takes place when a Jesus revival comes. A heaven sent revival is not religious entertainment where crowds gather to hear impressive musical programs and outstanding speakers although they may be very impressive and they may be very good speakers themselves to revival is not the result of effective advertising a sharp well constructed website or a slick Facebook presentation now understand I'm not against any of these things we need to be effective in our advertising we, because anybody that drives by this church or your church in 2023 if they're not familiar with you they pull out their smartphone what do they do they go check your website they want to see what you're all about we need to do things with excellence we need to be the best that we can be but some feel that just doing that is what brings revival I beg to differ revival is not just furious activity it's not a change in structure it's not just remodeling the facilities it's not just moving the furniture around it's not rearranging the decor some think because they took the pulpit out and put a stool and a table, they've had revival. Some people think because they moved the offering in a different part of the service, they've had a move of God. You hear me? Revival is not the result of just mere change. Revival is the result of relentless prayer, committed fasting, and grueling preparation. It is not pulpit cliches or faddish presentations. It's not the wishful thinking of a lazy church. True revival will cost you and cost me every dime of our spiritual checkbook. 
But around the world, spiritual hunger is driving people to pay the price and pray the price to experience God in a life-transforming way. An accelerated move of His Spirit demands that the church align itself with God in order to not only reap but retain the 21st century harvest. We've done a pretty good job at reaping but a very poor job at retaining. And God is calling us to a new revival of discipleship, to walk with people, to get down where they're at, as I mentioned a moment ago, and help pull them out of the fire. This generation must have people that are going to be willing to walk with them and teach them and pour into them and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Revival, a Jesus revival, has a defining appearance that the hungry are drawn to when they see it. The woman who met Jesus at Jacob's well knew it. And when Jesus gave her that taste of living water after a very spiritual conversation about worship, isn't it amazing out here everywhere which you go how people that are without Jesus want to have spiritual conversations about things they really don't know about because they've not experienced the one, the only one who can give life-giving water. And after she experienced that, she went running back into her town and she said, you got to come see this man. you got to come experience him. This man told me all about my life. This man told me I had had five husbands and the one I was shacking up with right now in one of the five. But he looked over that. He didn't care about that. He ministered to me. He dealt with what was going on in my life and he poured mercy in my life and gave me something that changed my life. Oh, come see him. Come hear from him. And the Bible says that they... They came out and invited Jesus to stay. And after 48 hours, they said, Lord, we don't believe in you now just because of what she said, but we have experienced you for ourselves. Has anybody experienced Jesus for yourself tonight? Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 2, when that revival got out of the upper room and got down on the street, I feel like preaching tonight. When that revival got down on the street... I said it got down on the street. It left the upper room and got down on the street. Oh, Jesus, revival will bust out of small places. It'll bust out of your church. It'll bust out of your house. It'll get down in your car. It'll get in your workplace. It'll get in your spirit. It'll get at the mall. It'll get in you at the gas station. I got out of the upper room out on the street. and Can you see that young lady from one of the countries mentioned in Acts chapter 2? that said that people were there from all over the world and all of a sudden a young lady's just washing dishes in her house and she hears down the street the language from her country being spoken. She knows only a handful of people speak our language. So out of interest, she wipes her hands on the dish towel and steps out in the street and sees that it's Jewish people speaking in her language. That marvel, what was she doing? She was experiencing the results of those tongues of fire that got out of the upper room. A Jesus revival will cause people to stop in their tracks. A Jesus revival will cause people to stop and look. A Jesus revival will cause people's ear to be tuned in that this is something I've never seen or never heard before. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 8, when that Holy Ghost filled deacon Philip went down to Samaria, the Bible says when they saw the miracle that he did and the demon possessed people delivered that they believed on Jesus and were saved and the Bible says that great joy filled the city 
It says that the, the revival was going so well and so many people being saved that they had to send Peter and John, the A-team down there, to Samaria to help pray people through through the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And by the way, if you are in need of the infilling of the Holy Ghost and fire, Jesus Christ the baptizer is here tonight to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. A Jesus revival broke out in Samaria and great joy filled the city. Our sister on the base said tonight, I don't know about you, but I feel the joy of the Lord all over me tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, how do you know we need a revival of Jesus' joy to break out in Fred, Texas, and Woodville, Texas, and Jasper, Texas, and all over this area. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they were arrested beaten with wooden rods, the Bible says, their feet in stocks, and they were praying and singing praises about midnight. And there's a phrase here that we many times just pass over, but it says that the prisoners were listening. I want you to know something, friends, from East Texas. We're living in a world full of prisoners. They might not have visible chains, but they're chains nonetheless. They're abound, they're addicted, they're enslaved, they're miserable, they're unhappy, and they're listening. They're looking for somebody to give them just a ray of hope. They're listening for somebody to give them a reason not to take their own life. And everywhere that we go, the prisoners are listening. They were listening to Paul and Silas. Praise God. And the praise that came out of their mouth got their attention. I want to ask you tonight, what's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of your spirit every day in the places that you go? What is bubbling out over you? I'm afraid we're filling our lives with such this or that or the stuff and the junk of this world that serves no purpose. I'm afraid more of that is coming out of our spirit than that of the Spirit of God. You listen to me. Everywhere that we go, it is the intention of God for this moment for you and I to be walking embassies of the Holy Ghost, to be walking embassies of the power of God. It is his desire for us to walk in a spirit of breakthrough. Just like when you're in a foreign country, if you've ever been to the U.S. Embassy anywhere overseas, the moment your feet hit the sidewalk of that United States Embassy, the laws of the U.S. Embassy apply. No matter what country you're in, you hear me, we're foreigners in this land. We're foreigners in this world. Our citizenship is in the general assembly of the firstborn. We don't belong here. But everywhere our feet tread, the kingdom of God applies because the kingdom is in us and the kingdom is on us. And it's time we understand. That'll preach right there. We're walking embassies of the Holy Ghost, taking the ground that we walk on. And I believe that you and I should be walking embassies of his breakthrough. The prisoners are listening. They're listening. They're listening. Just a few short weeks ago, I got to the airport in Tulsa to fly to preach a meeting and my plane was delayed and I have learned that many delays are the will of God because it's to put us in contact with people that need Jesus. And I walked into a retail store that just had just opened and a young lady there, 18 years, pardon me, 19 years old, I said, how you doing today? She said, I'm not doing well at all. And she began to tell me about her life and the hopelessness of her life. 
the door was wide open. And I said, you may not realize it, young lady, but God sent me here today. I said, he caused a delay in my plane because he loves you so much. And through a short conversation, I discovered that this young lady living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, now if you know anything about Tulsa, one of the most highly church cities of the United States. There's a church every 50 feet, and I'm not kidding you, not counting all the house churches. The greatest thing we deal with in Tulsa is a religious spirit. But this young lady barely knew anything about Jesus. She had never one time in her life heard the gospel all the way through. She was sketchy at best. So I started in Genesis. How many know the Old Testament is Jesus concealed? The New Testament is Jesus revealed. And there in the Old Testament, I began to tell her about the fall of man and how Adam and Eve disobeyed God and how sin came into the world. It wasn't God's plan, but through their disobedience, sin came. And I began to tell her about the plan of God and the redemption of God and how it's lived out before us in the Old Testament. And I began to share that with her. Then I got to the New Testament. I started talking to her about Jesus and His birth and His sinless life and His miracles and what He came to do. And by the time I got to the cross in about 15 minutes, she was looking at me like, if you just shut up, I'd like to receive this Jesus. And right there in that, in that store, she took my hands and with tears pouring down her face, she asked Jesus to come into her life. Hallelujah. She was a prisoner. You wouldn't have thought she was a prisoner, but she was a prisoner. We're surrounded by walking prisoners. On the way home of that same trip, I got on a shuttle. Again, my plane was delayed on the way home for seven hours. I wasn't happy about that at first as I wanted to get home to my wife and my girls. Couldn't blame me for that. But I got on that shuttle at 11.30 at night in Houston, not too far from here. I'm going to catch that plane. It wasn't taking off till nearly 1 in the morning. Just shuttle driver and me. And just before he closed the door, three young people in their 20s got on the shuttle and sat right in front of me from California. One of the ladies, her late young ladies in her late 20s, looked at me, our eyes met, and instantly her eyes filled with tears. No one said a word. She said, I'm under conviction. I need to get right with Jesus. You use terminology like that. You've, you've known about this thing. You've had an experience with Jesus somewhere along the way. And she looked at me and she said, I've been away from God. But she said, when I stepped on this and I looked at you, I knew I've got to get right with Jesus. And I was able to pray with her right there. And the two friends with her had never been saved. And they were gloriously saved right there on that shuttle. I'm going to tell you, friends, the prisoners are listening. After I got home from that, I was driving down in Southern Oklahoma. You know, we have these turnpikes and you can pull off to the a convenience store or a McDonald's and... Use the restroom, get something to drink, and I pulled over to get a Diet Dr. Pepper. Hallelujah to Jesus. And I was just kind of singing on my way in, and I guess I was singing louder than I thought I was. But what I was singing was, Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. And I was singing that song, and 
and uh, the, there was another young lady and a young man at the counter. And they said, hey, that sounds pretty good. What are you singing about? And I said, I'm singing about Jesus, the one who changed my life. And this young lady said, I'd like to know Jesus. And right there at the counter, I was able to lead her to Jesus. And the 21-year-old man on the other side turned around with tears pouring down his face. He said, I'd like to know him too. And I was able to lead both of them to the Lord Jesus. I'm here to tell you we're walking embassies. I'm talking about a Jesus revival. I'm talking about a revival where Jesus is getting the glory. You always know, by the way, when the Holy Ghost is working because Jesus is getting the glory. The early church everywhere that they went, when they had the microphone, they didn't talk about themselves. They didn't lift up themselves. They weren't giving you their promo. They weren't talking to you about how talented they were. They were talking about Jesus. They were lifting up Jesus. They were magnifying Jesus. They would even say, it wasn't us that did the miracle. It was Jesus that did the miracle. That's our problem. That's what has hindered a Jesus revival is we want the credit. We want it to make us look good. We want it to be the focus on us. Oh, friends, there's got to be a revival of humility before Jesus Christ so that he can come, as, as chapter 3 of Acts says, and I will send Jesus to you. Hallelujah. The prisoners were listening. And suddenly revival broke out. And that massive earthquake shook the prison to its foundations. And the doors flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Oh, glory to God. How do you know we need a shaking revival to hit us again that causes the chains in people's lives to fall off and shakes their prison doors open? Hallelujah. Even the jailer was under conviction was going to take his own life because he noticed they were all going to escape. And, Pete, and Paul says, hey, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And he falls down to their feet and says, what must I do to be saved? And the man's entire house got saved. Anybody needs your whole household to be saved? Any mamas and daddies tonight got children that you've raised to know Jesus and they're away from God and your heart is burdened for them. We're going to pray for them tonight and believe God for a miracle. Acts chapter 19. Paul in his third missionary journey, he gets there to Ephesus. In Acts 18, we read about the very powerful ministry of Apollos who had kind of laid the groundwork in a very powerful ministry of salvation. But then Paul gets to Ephesus. And in Acts 19, it says that when he, as soon as he got there, he found some believers. And the first thing he asked him was, have you received the baptism in the Holy Ghost since you believed on Jesus? And they said, we didn't even know there's such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And he laid his hands on them and immediately began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Hallelujah. And so Paul, as was his custom, went on to the synagogue and the Bible teaches us there that he stayed there and taught for three months. But after 90 days, the Bible says that the hearts of the people had gotten hard. And so the Holy Spirit moved him down the way a bit to a place called the School of Tyrannus. And there in the School of Tyrannus, I should have brought a picture to put up of that beautiful, ornate Corinthian building. Paul stayed there for two years and he taught and he preached 
on those steps. And people would come there daily and they would in essence preach their doctrine. They would preach their belief system. And Paul would stand up there, a Jew's Jew, a brilliant man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the highest level of Jewish learning. The Greek people could not get enough of public speaking. They would come for hours and listen to people talk. And they were such a discriminating audience that if you made a mistake, you flubbed a word, you misspoke, they would stand up and publicly correct you in front of everyone. And so Paul would stand out there and he would speak. They would be listening. You can imagine how long they might have stayed time after time. And Paul stood to preach. And Paul is preaching Jesus. He's teaching Jesus. And somewhere along the way, God began to give him mighty miracles, unusual miracles through his hands. And God began to heal the sick. And God began to drive out demons. And the Lord began to show himself strong. Hallelujah. And while Paul was preaching and while Paul was being used of God and God was giving him those miracles, it was we read there where he sent out aprons and handkerchiefs as a point of contact. That's where we get that example when we do that to send to someone to believe God for healing or deliverance. And while Paul was about his ministry, we read about the seven sons of Sceva who showed up and said, we're going to steal Paul's thunder. They, they were in essence a wicked and demonic itinerant ministry. They were sons of one of the priest and they were traveling around taking offerings by impressing people for exercising or casting out devils with whoever's whoever's power they thought would give them the ability to do so and they said this day we're going to use the name of Jesus that Paul preached about catch that it wasn't their Jesus it was Paul's Jesus I'll get back to that in a minute and so they tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out the devil. And the, that demon spoke up and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And when the devil said that, it gave Paul such credibility that revival hit Ephesus. A Jesus revival hit Ephesus. And when that devil said and admitted, I know Paul and I know Jesus, and began to jump on those seven sons of Sceva and began to beat them and tear their clothes off, it made such a scene and a show and gave such credibility to Paul that people went running back into their houses and they got all their witchcraft paraphernalia. They got all the stuff they had been hiding in the, under the bed and in the closet. They got all the stuff that they had spent a lot of money on to worship the sun and worship the devil and all their occult books and they brought them out and made this massive bonfire and they burned them up because they were saying from now on we're going to worship and serve the God of Paul that even the demon said him I know what happened conviction fell on Ephesus. You hear me? Revival is not just a series of protracted services. Revival is when an awareness of God falls on a church. When an awareness of God falls on a town. Revival is when the convicting power of the Holy Ghost falls on your community. When people driving by this house get under conviction of their sin and pull in the parking lot and come in here and say, I can't go on living the way that I'm living. When someone in this room tonight has sin in their life that's destroying their life under the conviction of the Holy Ghost by the love of Jesus comes to, the, comes to Jesus as you are and you respond to his conviction. And by the way, if you're here tonight and you've got hidden stuff in your life and there's stuff that nobody knows about, there's stuff that maybe isn't seen but you know and the Lord knows. 
and there's conviction in your heart tonight, it's time to get it right. I can't emphasize enough in this service that Jesus is coming, that the rapture is on upon us. You can look at everything going on, uh, uh, happening all around us. The events of the past 48 to 72 hours should shake us into understanding that Jesus is coming and is coming very soon. There is no time, no time to, to be playing around with sinful things. There's no time to be opening up our lives to things that are going to cause us to miss the coming of Jesus. This is no time to get wrapped up in the things of this world. It's time to be free from those things. It's time to be severed from those things and begin to look upward for the return of Jesus hallelujah a Jesus revival our cry must be a revival that takes us beyond the mist the Bible opens with the mist but it ends with the river Genesis chapter 2 tells us that after creation that there was a mist that came up from the ground and it watered the vegetation and kept it alive. But by the time we get to Revelation 22, the Bible says there's a river that flows from the, from the throne of God and under the Lamb. How many are say with me tonight, Brother Creston, the cry of my heart is to move past the mist into the river of God, into the fullness of what He wants, into the fullness of revival. You hear me? The mist represents sustenance, but the river represents abundance but the truth is you and I have gotten used to the mist we've gotten accustomed to the mist the mist is easy we can come and go unchanged in the mist we can just enjoy each other in the mist but those who are wrapped up in the mist are no threat to the kingdom of darkness the church of the Lord Jesus is on trial at this very moment tonight we stand in the courtroom of a generation that is tired of our excuses and they want evidence. They will not wait while we try to reinvent ourselves. They will not wait while we try our different strategies trying to figure things out. They want to see that we have the goods. They expect us to produce what we have claimed to possess. I'm asking you tonight, Natchez Valley, can we pass the authenticity test? Can we pass the authenticity test? Because this generation is crying out for the real. This generation is not interested in a contrived show. They're interested in something that is life transformational that they can sink their teeth into. The real versus the imitation. The real versus the counterfeit. A real Jesus revival that produces lasting results. We see that here, even after the apostles were beaten, after they had already proved they had the goods, even after they were beaten, they just kept right on teaching and preaching. Money counterfeit counterfeiters. Those who come to banks that train the employees on how to recognize fake bills, fake currency. Years and years ago, they tried to inundate the trainees with the fake. So they thought by inundating them with the fake currency, the fraudulent currency, the imitation currency, 
They would be so accustomed to seeing the fake that they would for sure recognize a fake. But they found that over time, almost every trainee was swayed and were calling counterfeit currency the real. But then they reversed their method and they immersed their trainees in the real. And after a period of time, they recognized that almost every single time by immersing their workers and their trainees with the real, they could catch the fake almost immediately. Their eye caught it immediately. This generation must be immersed in the authentic, the genuine, the real move of God. This generation is crying out for the experience of what we have claimed to know about. Now, anybody that knows me very well, and I'm just getting to know some of you, but I love cowboy boots. Amen, brother. And there are two or three different brands that I really like. And recently, just, just, just days ago, I saw a particular pair on Facebook Marketplace. And I haven't had just a whole lot of experience with Facebook Marketplace. And the price on these books, on these boots, was, was not like too good to be true. It was a good price, but it, it, was, it was a very good price. So I made arrangements to meet this person to, at, a, at a QT in public there to take a look at these boots. And so when I get there, they, they pulled the boots out of their back seat. They were bagged individually just like... They should be. They even had the tag with the exact kind of rope wrapped around the finger pulls. They looked good. And I pulled them out of the plastic and I looked down in the shaft of the boot and I rubbed my hand across the logo. And on this particular kind of boot, the last letter has... A raised stitching so you know the authenticity. And I got to looking inside and the logo was crooked. On the bottom of the boot, the original, the, the authentic is always embossed on the heel. They had taken a sticker and had, on with the computer had printed a sticker that had the right logo, but just they stuck it on the bottom of the heel. And they were claiming they had bought out a warehouse of these and were just selling them, wanting to make their money back in volume. They were, they looked good, but they were frauds. They looked good, but they were fakes. They were an impressive imitation, but an imitation indeed. What were they trying to do? They were trying to take from people. They were trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. They were claiming to have the real thing, and they had an imitation, a good one, but an imitation indeed. They were taking a shortcut, but the boots did not have the stitching nor the manufacturing that the original had. You hear me? There are no shortcuts to authentic revival. We've all seen the smoke. 
We've all seen the snake oil salesmen through the years. But we had the foundation and the experience of the genuine to know the difference. This generation has been greatly affected by the Simon the Sorcerers and the sons of Sceva. And Simon the Sorcerer, if you're not familiar with him, in Acts chapter 8, after seeing the ministry of Philip, wanted to buy the power of God at a bargain price. And we've seen those who've wanted to do that very thing. We've dealt with sons of Sceva. This generation has seen many who've claimed to have the goods. Their generation has seen so many that have claimed to have it that have acted as though they had it. They've seen a generation of many circumstances who wanted to use the name of Jesus that Paul preached about but didn't have the relationship with Jesus to back it up. You better have the name to back it up. This generation is interested in seeing people who are the real deal. They're interested in experiencing the genuine article. True revival begins with our own relationship with Jesus. You hear me? You hear me tonight? I just want to say this as I'm preaching. This is not a scam. If somebody's watching by Facebook Live or you've happened in this room tonight and you've been skeptical of the power of God, let me tell you, this is not a scam tonight. What you've seen in this room from the beginning is not a scam. What you've seen in this room is the real thing. People touching Jesus. People getting a hold of a real God. People getting a hold of something that's life transformational. We're all living in a world full of scams. Everywhere we go, everybody's trying to scam us. You go to Walmart and buy a bag of Lay's potato chips and open it up and it's 70% air. You got scammed. You buy some peanut butter and you turn it over and there's about 20% missing in the bottom and you pay double the price. You got scammed. I'm not here tonight, Natchez Valley, to try to sell you a car warranty you don't need. I'm not here trying to sign you up for a fake insurance policy. I'm not here to tell you, give me $1,000 and I'll write you a check for a million. No, sir. No, ma'am. I'm here to talk about the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here tonight to talk about the only thing that's going to change your life. That is Jesus and his power. Isaiah chapter 55 says to come and buy milk, come and buy food without money and without price. And when we read that, that sounds like a scam and that it's too good to be true. But you're looking at an eastern Oklahoma boy who's found the real thing and it might look like it's too good to be true, but it's true, it's true, it's real, it's real. I came to Jesus and he transformed my life and I've never been the same. I could talk to you tonight about the apostles, their, their conviction. I could talk to you about their character. I could talk to you, Acts chapter 5 shows us all these things, their conviction, their character, their camaraderie, their confidence, their credibility, and their commitment. There's an outline for you. This generation my heart is burning for. A Jesus revival is an authentic revival. A Jesus revival is not a revival we just decided to have. I've been doing enough of those. A Jesus revival 
is not just recounting or reenacting the past. We in Pentecost have such an exciting history. But it's very easy for us to rely upon what's happened in past camp meetings and past revivals and past services that we've been in. And you hear me, we need to keep those memories precious. But sometimes we're guilty of just depending on those things and constantly looking back at those things. If we're not careful, we constantly just try to reenact something that's already happened. We constantly are working to try to recapture something that God has already done. But in Isaiah chapter 43, God said, Behold, I will do a new thing. Can you not see it? Hallelujah. Can you not see it? Shall you not know it? You hear me? What you experienced last week or last year or 10 years ago in a camp meeting, that is not intended by God to be the pinnacle or the zenith of your experience with Him. There's a new move. There's a fresh word. There's fresh water. There's new things God wants to do in your life. A Jesus revival brings a new freshness. A Jesus revival is God's response to the hunger of our soul and the cry of our heart. In Luke chapter 8, we find that man Jairus who comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. And just let me say, Jairus found out something that if we'll worship Jesus, he'll come to our house. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But Jairus falls to the feet of Jesus and says, Jesus, I've got a daughter 12 years old. She's near. She's dying. You've got to come. You've got to come heal her. In this description of Jairus and his family, we read about this 12-year-old daughter. There is no mention of any other children or any other daughters. So the indication is that the legacy of Jairus is lying dead on that bed. But his future is at the point of death. So Jesus turns and begins heading toward Jairus' house. And while he's on his way to Jairus' house, that woman we know with the issue of blood pushes her way through the crowd, stays with it until she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus, surrounded by people, stops because he feels virtue go out of him and says, who touched me? He knew because he felt his healing power leave. And there that woman who had been bleeding for 12 years was instantly healed. Now, it's interesting to note, I had never really seen this before, that this woman who had been sick for 12 years had been sick as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. You hear me tonight, the church as a whole has been sick as long as this generation has been alive. We have been bleeding and fighting for our spiritual health the entirety of this generation's existence. Loss of blood causes anemia and weakness. And our spiritual anemia and our weakness has directly affected this generation. We have blamed their spiritual condition on Hollywood. We've blamed it on celebrities. We've blamed it on the internet. We've blamed it on everything and everyone except upon whom the blame should lie, and that is on us. They have no reference point except what we have shown them and lived before them. All, the only thing this generation can go and move from and operate from is what they have seen lived out before them. 
And for the, about the past 20 or 25 years, there has been a, de, a, a depletion of power in the church, particularly the Pentecostal church. We have talked a whole lot about things we're not walking in. We've talked a lot about a power we're not walking in, and it's not been displayed because we have been satisfied on little. We have been satisfied with just a little bit. We have been very contented with the ease of coming and leaving. We've been very contented with just being able to kind of have our program and go through our motions and high-five each other and go about our business. But that is not going to cut it for this generation. And it's not going to cut it for a world and a culture that's desperate for us to have the goods. When you study slavery and you read about the slaves who were taken from freedom into slavery, they had a reference point of freedom. But children of slaves only knew slavery. They had no reference point for freedom. And we have acted like that we have no reference point for a move of God. We've been acting like we have nothing to pull from to walk this generation out of a prison camp into victory. Hallelujah. And God is saying to us, and he's saying to us tonight, that future generations will only trust the mist and will believe it to be normal until they experience the river. But here's what is powerful. While Jesus healed that older woman and she regained her fruitfulness, she had not been fruitful for 12 years. We don't know her exact age, but she still could have possibly borne children but could not have intimacy because of the continued bleeding. And here, while on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, he healed her and stopped her bleeding. And then when he got to Jairus' house, that 12-year-old girl wanted the devil attack her so he wanted to steal her fruit what does the devil want to do with this generation? Why has he attacked them so? Why has he tried to steal from them the Pentecostal experience? Because he doesn't want them to be fruitful. He doesn't want them to reproduce another generation of, that walks in the power of God. But Jesus took her by the hand. <laughs> and he said, little girl... Well, on the way, while they got there, he kicked all the people out that didn't have any faith, that were crying and mourning, and took Peter, James, and John. And just let me say to you, Neches Valley, the pastors represented in this room tonight need some people that are going to be faith people. They need some people to start texting their pastor and say, hey, I was praying for you today that God would bless you, that he would anoint you, that he poured out his spirit upon you. they got to have some people that will drive by the church and get out and walk around the church and pray in the Holy Ghost. they got to have some people who drive in the parking lot and pray in the spirit. they got to have some people who walk into rooms of the dead and the dying and the broken and say, we're with you. Hallelujah. And Jesus took her by the hand and said, little girl, get up. The Bible says that she got up and then Jesus said, give her something to eat. This generation is starving to death for the real. They're starving to death in spiritual hunger for food that will change their life. They're starving to death 
for the experience of the authentic, not just what was talked about, but a real Jesus revival that man is not glorified, but Jesus is glorified for a move of God that moves past the whims and the wants and the ideas of man and because of the move of God and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and Jesus having his way, it is obvious that Jesus is glorified and when Jesus is lifted up, what's he going to do? He's going to draw men unto him. One of the reasons why we're not seeing people saved like we need to is because Jesus is not being glorified. Jesus healed both generations. And one day, a Jesus revival will bring all generations together. It'll bring the elder saint and the child together. It'll bring the middle-aged adult and the teenager, the student together. A Jesus revival crosses all boundaries and brings everything together. It says of the early church when that Jesus revival broke out that no lion could eat, no king could stop, no edict could do anything about that was burning through the Roman Empire from center to circumference. It says they had all things in common. Stand with me tonight. Jesus healed both generations. He healed both. And the cry of this preacher's heart is to see all generations touched by Jesus' revival. To see your church burn with the Jesus revival. What's happening throughout this service tonight is what a Jesus revival is all about. And I know beginning yesterday and through this week, I have an expectation in my spirit, momentum's just going to keep on building and building and building. Lift your hands with me across this room. Shanda baronde de baronde bi kanda la baroto tole bi shata basikita. Kinda da rondo la baroto tole ba shanda barite bisi pekete. Hallelujah to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah to your name, Jesus. Shake us up. Shake our prison doors open. Shake the chains off of our hands and our arms. Rip the straight jackets off of us, oh God. The authentic, the real. Not the fake, not the imitation, but the real. That this generation might see and know the freedom and deliverance and power and awesomeness of our God. That no one could talk them out of it or buy them out of it because they have had the experience themselves that's embossed on their life. <laughs> that nobody can tell them any different. But Jesus is the real thing. Jesus transformed me. Jesus baptized me in the Holy Ghost. Jesus healed my body. Jesus touched me with his power. Jesus set me on fire with a burden for lost people. Oh, Lord, tonight, oh, Holy Ghost, lay your hand on a young person. May they be called to preach your gospel tonight. 
May they be called into evangelism. They may be called to be a missionary. Lord, in these altars, by the fire of God, call young people into your ministry. First of all, I want to ask you, musicians, would you come? Anybody in this room right now, I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads because I believe we need to be bold. You're in this room right now, and you say, Preacher, things in my life are not right with Jesus. I sense the conviction of the Holy Ghost here tonight. Say, things in my life are not right with Jesus. I'm struggling with sin. I'm dealing with disobedience. And I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You might be a person that, like in Ephesus, you, you know what's right, but there's hidden things in your life. You don't have to come and tell me what it is, but there's things there that you know are not right. There's struggles going on there, but you know that aren't right. There's things you're battling, things that even you're willfully giving into. That is very dangerous. You hear me tonight. Continuing in willful sin is dangerous stuff. It's dangerous. We're playing with our soul. We're playing with eternity. You're in this room tonight. You say, man, I got these things in my life. You hear me? Jesus loves you. Uh, he's all about you. He wants to free you. He wants to set you free from those encumbering things. He, he wants to become the Lord of your life. But the only way you can do it is if you come to him as you are and say, Lord, here it is. Anybody lifting your hand, being honest, say, Creston, things in my life are not right with Jesus. He's speaking to my heart. Don't be ashamed. We've all been there. Lift your hand. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. I see you. I see you over there. Hey, man, this is not about people seeing you. This is not about making a show. It's not about the evangelist results. This is about coming to Jesus. There's other people here tonight. I know by the Spirit there's things in your life. They're not right with God. You need a Jesus revival in your life to set you free. This is your time. This is your night. Do not wait. Do not wait. Say, I'll come tomorrow night. I'll do it later. Or respond while the Holy Ghost is drawing you now. Understand there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit never condemns. Come on, you lifted your hand. Step to the aisle and come and meet us here at this altar. Come right now. Come right now. I can't continue this life. I can't keep on the way I've been living. I can't continue operating the way I've been operating. It's got to stop, but it's got to stop tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Hallelujah. How do you believe he's still the emancipator? Amen. 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 How many people in this room tonight? I'm going to ask children. I'm going to ask parents to bring their kids. I'm going to ask young people. I'm going to ask adults all over this room. You are hungry for a Jesus revival to break out in your life, in your house, in your church. You desire it. You want it. It's the cry of your heart for that authentic move of God to break out. Come on, all over this room. I want us to begin stepping out of our seats. Come on, all over this room. All over this room. Come on, men of God. Come on, women of God. I want to begin to pray for our children. I want to pray for our young people tonight. Hallelujah. I want to pray for this generation. I want to pray for this generation. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, come, come on, people of God. Begin to raise your hands. Begin to open your mouth. And begin to cry out to God with me for a healing of the generations. For this generation to get up off of their bed. To get up off of that sick bed. Some have relegated them to death, but they're not going to die. They're going to live in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Got him on my knees again Got him begging please again I need you Oh, I need you Walking down this desert road Water for my thirsty soul I need you Oh, I need you Got him on my knees Sweet, sweet honey on my lips Like the sand 
Lift your eyes to heaven 
There is freedom. 
Praise the Lord tonight. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those that are praying, we encourage you to keep praying. We'll be meeting in the morning at 10 o'clock. If you brought an offering tonight, just bring it up here and put it in the pan. That's going to be the best we get. God bless you. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Tomorrow night at 7. We'll be back here. God bless you. Have a good evening.